Now, in chapter 18, it's amazing because you see what Elijah has, uh, what the Lord is doing through Elijah. And so, um, let me set this up. He has this mighty showdown, and you guys know this, with these prophets, Baal. And so, you know, he, um, he challenges them. He even mocks them and trolls them. He says, okay, you, you bring your, your prophets here. We'll get two cows, and we'll, we'll split them up. We'll, um, we'll build an altar, and you call upon your God to send down fire and, and burn this offering. And so, you know, the 450 prophets, they did that. And they couldn't. And it got to a point where Elijah, he was mocking them. He said, oh, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he couldn't hear you. And, and so they, they, uh, they went onwards and they started cutting themselves, thinking that by doing that, God would hear them. And of course, you know, nothing happened, right? And then Elijah did his thing. And he built the altar. And to prove a point, he actually asked uh, the people of Israel to pour water on his offering, to actually drown the offering, the sacrifice, and soak it in water. If you've ever burned anything, you know you want your wood or whatever you're burning to be as dry as possible, right? And so he actually soaked it to prove a point that no matter what, my God can do this. And so it happened, and what ended up happening was that, um, of course, God sent down fire, uh, licked up the, the, the sacrifice, as the Bible says, and and you would think that after doing all of this, that the people of Israel would see who was truly God. And it would accomplish what God has sent Elijah to do. But you go to chapter 19, and things are a little bit different. The, the expectations that, that Elijah had didn't turn out the way that he expected. In chapter 19, the very first verse, Ahab went and told his wife on Elijah. Ahab was so jealous and he was so, so um, consumed by what Elijah did. In the very first verse, he says, you know, he's telling, he's telling Jezebel, look what Ahab has done. He can't even see that it was God who did it. Or sorry, look what Elijah has done. He can't even see that it was God who did it, but he said, look what Elijah done. And so, Jezebel was upset because what ended up happening was uh, uh, Elijah sent the 450 prophets and they went, they all got killed, right? The people of Israel killed the 450 prophets. They were the prophets of Jezebel and she was upset. And what did she do? She sent a warning to Elijah, said, watch out, I'm coming for you. Those weren't her words, but you know, that's what ended up happening. Watch out, I'm coming for you. And Elijah was so distressed, so disappointed by what happened. Because think about it. Just in chapter 18, he had seen God's miracle. Even before that, he had seen God uh, uh, send down rain after three years, right? There was a drought. And then after that, you know what he did? He, God told Elijah to tell Ahab to, to get on his horse and get on his chariot and go forward to the city named, I think it's Jezreel. And Elijah was overcome by the Spirit of God that he actually outran Ahab to the city. 
Now think about that. Have you ever seen Forrest Gump? I, that's all I could picture was Forrest Gump running and running and running, not stopping. But you know, I, I even went, I, me, I remember a few years ago, there was some like shenanigan where these sprinters were trying to outrun a horse. Like they put up races where you put a sprinter next to a horse. They gave the sprinter a head start in a 200 meter race. Like he, they gave him like almost 100 meters head start. And the horse came and outran, outran the sprinter. Here you have Elijah experiencing the supernatural power of God to be able to outrun a chariot and a horse all the way to a city. So he's seen all of this. And he's seen, he's seen God deliver the prophets of Baal and, and get rid of them. And yet in chapter 19, which we're going to read in a second, he is running for his life. Because, and it's funny because, you know, Jezebel actually gave him a heads up. Like, she didn't have to do that, but she gave him a heads up and said, watch out, I'm coming for you. And you, you think that after seeing everything that God had done through him, that he would have the courage or he would have the, the, the boldness to be like, you know what, we just took out 450 of your prophets, you're just one person. But he ran. He ran, okay? And he ran into the wilderness, and he was so disappointed and so discouraged that he even asked to die. So let's read here in verse 9. So this is after he's, he's run uh, in, into... He actually was heading to, to one part, and in his... Like, he intended to go to one part of Israel, but he was, he was so disarrayed that he ended up going to Judea, which, if you recall, back then was the southern part of Israel, right, the, the other kingdom. And so, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so Elijah said, I Get this, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Yet I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Verse 11, then he said, this is uh, God saying, go out. I love this. And stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was also not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And finally, after the fire came a still, small voice. And if you read further on, it was God talking to Elijah to calm him down, to recenter, refocus, get him back on track. When you think about disappointments and discouragements, it really only has 
two roots, or the cause of it is really two roots, okay? It's because either there's something that we want that we don't have, or there's something that we have that we don't want. Think about it for a sec. There's something that we want, but we don't have. Or it's something that we have and we don't want. So I'll give you some examples. So you could, you, let me think. You could be, you could be sitting here today and saying, Lord, I've been waiting all my life for the perfect spouse to come along. We always use spouses as some kind of example, right? <laughs> I've been waiting, you know, and you've been faithfully coming to church and, and you've been serving since the beginnings of this church and then nothing. And then some guy named Peter comes to church wow. and, <laughs> no, wait, 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 no, no, <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and it's like, man, this, this, the, what, look what the Lord did. <laughs> and that was quick. And it was good. It was quick and it was good, right? Amen? I know this because I actually had, had we had a, I think when we were at our place, we had that like little joke about that, right? Or maybe you've been working at your job for a while, and, and you've been so faithful, and you've been putting extra hours in, you're the last person to leave, you're the first to get there, you give up your weekends, and they give a promotion to some person who's not as qualified as you, not as hardworking as you, and the only reason why that person got promotion is because he or she goes on smoke breaks with the boss. I've been there, done that. Not the smoking part, but <laughs> I've seen that happen. You want something, but it didn't come to pass, and so you're disappointed. Or maybe you have something that you don't want, and it hasn't left you. Maybe you've had an injury or an illness, and you have been praying for months, even years, for it to be gone. Let's be real this morning, okay? Like, I know people like that. Even myself, I was at that one point, right? I remember uh, I injured my knees back in university. It's really, it's really odd because when you're, when you're a university student and you're like 18 or 19, you think nothing in the world can hurt you and you're used to a certain way of life and you kind of just, not, not reckless, but you kind of just go all out and you don't see the consequences of it. So I used to play sports, even if it was just recreational, I would go like 150%. I'd give it all, and it was just for fun. It didn't even mean anything. And then I ended up getting injured. First one knee, and then another knee, and then I was too, I was too uh, silly, scared, whatever you want to call it, to go to the hospital and get checked out, and I would keep on re-injuring it, keep on re-injuring it. I remember every time there was a preacher who came and, and a, a person who, who quote-unquote specialty was in healing, I would go up for prayer. 
And then I would have the faith like, yes, I'm healed, I'm healed, yes, I'm healed. Let's go play some basketball. Boom. Injured again. And there got to a point where I just, I, I gave up. I actually gave up and I said, okay, you know what? Um, I would tell my friends, no, I can't play basketball with you guys anymore. I can't play, I can't play football, I can't play soccer. I, I actually couldn't even go for a jog. That's how bad my knees were. I couldn't go for a jog. And then, I mean, and it took, it was years. It wasn't even just a one, it was probably from when I was 18 all the way till 26 or 27. And, you know, I wasn't constantly praying, God, heal my knees, heal my knees. But, you know, in my heart, every now and then, I would recall my injury because I, maybe I, could, I would see my friends going out to play and I couldn't go with them. And I would say, Lord, what's going on? I've been, it always starts with I, right? I've been faithful. I've been serving you. I've heard your word. I've read your word. I believe. Why are my knees still like this? And I, I gave up. And then at that time, around that time, um, I don't know what happened, but I just had this courage and, and faith. This faith in me rose. And I remember I didn't, even, I didn't even have anyone praying for me. It was just it was one of those times where I was at home and, and the Lord brought it to my memory. What's going on with your knees? And I said... I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> and and I, I, didn't, I didn't have one of those experiences where, like, you know, miraculously I could feel something popping in my knee, right? But I had this faith. And I knew, that moment, I knew that the Lord had healed my knees. And, and I actually went and tested it out. So... I went and I, I went and called up a few, like, it wasn't like the day after, but I remember a week after I went and called, I said, let's, hey, let's go play some uh, badminton. And I did. And it was good. Right? And so, sometimes we, we, we try to get rid of something, but it doesn't come to pass, and we get disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged. Debt. Oh, hallelujah. That, that could be one of those things that stare right in your face. Day after day, when you log into your bank account, when the bills are sent to your house, and you try to pretend that they sent it to the wrong address. <laughs> and and this, is, this is how life works, okay? At least in my world. We, we have expectations. Do you guys have expectations? Now, I know many of you who are in leadership, you get trained to manage expectations, right? My, my boss trains us to do that all the time, to manage expectations, right? And that applies to a lot of situations. But in, in most walks of life, you have to have expectations. I think it would be very sad if you, you and I walked around life having no expectations, no expectations of each other, no expectations of the places we go and, and, and come from. I mean, you could be going on a first date with somebody and take them to a KFC in London and there'd be no chicken. <laughs> a 
it's a little inside joke. It actually happened, right? I read that on social media. Like, people, I mean, the first thing is they took someone on first date to KFC. Yes, right? <laughs> That's our kind of date, right? KFC. But they go there and there's no chicken. And it is perfectly, let me, let me get this very clear to you. It is perfectly okay to have expectations. It is not a sin to have expectations. And it is perfectly okay to be disappointed. It is not a sin to be disappointed. Um, as you can see, Elijah was disappointed. What was causing Elijah, Elijah's disappointment? He had expectations. And what did he expect? He expected that as God showed the people of Israel that he is God, that they would turn in their hearts from worshiping all these idols and false prophets and return to the Lord. And when they didn't, he was so disappointed and so discouraged that he ran for his life, okay? So remember this, you, you, we, our, our disappointment and discouragement is because either we want something that we don't have or we have something that we want to get rid of, Okay? Disappointments can happen to anyone, even men and women of God. Now this, you might think, well, duh, P.Y., of course. But I'll tell you this, right? I, I, there were years when I used to listen to uh, or even read um, Christian stuff, like teaching and preaching and books, and, and not from this church. This church is awesome. Not from this church. No, I'm serious. Not from this church. But... I would actually feel it was my fault that disappointment came into my life. I would feel that it was because of something I did or didn't do. I would feel that because I'm a mighty man of God, I'm a pastor, that you shouldn't be discouraged or disappointed. And if you are, something's wrong with you. Your heart's not right with God. You're not praying enough. You're not reading your word enough. You're not spending time in church enough. You're not spending time with God enough. But disappointments can happen even to you and I, to, to our brothers and sisters. You know in the Bible, you know, if you go from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, it is littered with examples of people who were disappointed and discouraged. Look at even from the very beginning. You had, um, you had a lot of women who were barren. And they were disappointed, and even some of them were discouraged. It got that far. You all know the story about Job. In, even in the New Testament, dare I say, even Jesus himself experienced disappointments. Don't stone me yet, okay? All right? Think about it. If you read, if you read in, in the Gospels when, when he would say, Oh, you faithless generation." Because he had spent all this time with them to teach them and to demonstrate to them what their faith could do. And yet, these disciples were either unable or unwilling to take that step of faith. Remember when he went to the garden, he came back and all his disciples were sleeping? Yeah? You think he was a little disappointed there? Jesus himself was disappointed. So, it is not a sin to be disappointed. 
Now, here's, here's where things get interesting. What you do with your disappointments can either set you up for a comeback or plunge you further into discouragement. What you do with your disappointments can set you up for a comeback or plunge you even further into discouragement. You and I, there, there are things in our lives that we can't, you know, we can't control. Like going back to that real example of KFC, like you wouldn't have known if you drove up to your favorite restaurant, and I mean, I'm sure everyone has experienced this, where you go there and you're like, doesn't it, like, don't you just, doesn't it bug you when you are, like, you think of a food and you're like, I want this. And you go there and they ran out of the ingredients. <laughs> It's happened before, and, and you know, it, you begin to, that begins to kind of percolate in your heart, and it's like, oh, how, how dare these people, like, not, they didn't they know I was coming? <laughs> how dare they run out of chicken? But what you do, you don't have, you can't control that, so if someone, if something happens that disappoints you because you have an expectation, you, you can't really control all of that. Yes, you can say, I'll lower my expectations and not expect anything. I guess you could do that, but as I said earlier, you know, life wouldn't be very exciting if all of us had no expectations. But what you can control is what you do with those disappointments. You can actually, shoot, and, and we're going to go into that a bit, what you do with your disappointments can set you up for an amazing comeback or plunge you even further into discouragement. And our goal this morning is to get set up for a comeback. Amen? No discouragement here. But you get to choose. You get to choose what you do with that disappointment, okay? You can choose if, if you know, you're in ministry. Let's say, you're, you're, you know, we've been doing the small group things for the past few weeks now. And you can choose to... Be disappointed if nobody shows up to your small group, right? That'd be disappointing. And you can choose either, okay, Pastor Marlies, I don't want to do this anymore. I cooked all this food, cleaned up my house, canceled my date night, and nobody showed up. You see, discouragement is actually a tool to intimidate you and I into quitting. That's what it wants to do. That's the only thing discouragement wants to do. It wants to get you to say, I give up. I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And that, again, comes from because you've experienced a disappointment. But if you choose to say, no, simple word, no, I will not accept this disappointment. I will not let it bring me down. I will not let it hinder what God wants to do in my life. You are going to get set up for your comeback. All these disappointments that we experience, like I learned a long time ago that the enemy, our enemy, your enemy, my enemy, his job isn't to stop you where you are right now. His job is to stop you from where you're supposed to be going. You get that? His job is to prevent you from going where God has destined for you to be, for me to be. So even right now, you might be at the lows of the lows of the lows in your life. He's not going to back off because he knows that God is setting you up for your comeback. 
And he wants to prevent you from getting to that place. And how does he do it? One of the ways is discouragement. He wants to get you to quit and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Do you know, I know you've heard this from Pastor Paul before, but let me tell you from a different angle or perspective, meaning I was the one in the audience. <laughs> he was the one up here. When we started this church like 18 years ago, um, our, our church, we met in a hotel, in a conference room. And there was about eight or nine people up here on the worship team. And there was like four people in the... <laughs> Anyone been there before? And, but we were so green and we were so excited. And we would get to his house every Saturday because all the equipment was stored in his house. We would get there. Um, it was Saturday night services. And we would get there early, and a team of us, and we would pick up all the equipment, like some of these speakers, like it's not light. And we, and we would pack it perfectly because after a few times we kind of got the hang of it, and we would use up every space in the van. We'd pack it all up, drive to the place, uh, the hotel, get set up, have service at 7 o'clock, finish by about 9.30, and, and then unpack everything, load it up back in the van, go back to Pastor Paul's home, drop it off in his basement, and then go have dinner at like midnight. <laughs> and then finish, and then we'd go home at like 2 in the morning. It was fun. It was fun. Like, that part of it was fun. The part that wasn't fun was when it came, you know, week after week after week after week. And, you know, there was just always four or five people in the congregation. You know something's not going the way it should go when the whole church is excited, like, you know, like even the, the, the hotel uh, worker walked through the door and we're like, yes, another person coming to our church. And he was just checking to see if we were done. <laughs> and so, you know, we... we and, I tell you, there were so many times, there were so many times we sat there and I would ask myself, like, what am I doing here? What am I doing? Like, it, we used to do church on Saturday night, right? And I was, like, I guess I was a teenager. And I said, this is my prime time. <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? All my peers and buddies are out right now watching Hockey Night in Canada or or having fun, or doing something. And I'm in here in this church. It's a little sad, because there's just 15 of us. And we've been doing this for months and months and months. And I said, like, you know, Lord, how do I, how do I broach this subject? Like, and then we begin, to, we begin to sort of negotiate with God, right? Lord, if, it always starts with if, if you send more people, I will give you more weeks. But if next week it's the same four people I see, and the same four people that God always sends are like, they're sad looking. <laughs> 
So it wasn't like we were like super encouraged. They were just like sitting like <laughs> week after week. And so I said, Lord, I don't know how much longer I can do this because we had this vision. We wanted, we had a vision to like take over Toronto, take over the city, take over the country. Like we were, we were so green and we were ready. And when it didn't happen, remember what I said? When you want something and it didn't happen, at least not in my mind or at least not according to my schedule, my schedule, I was, Lord, I'm, I think I'm ready to quit. And then you add all the other things in life. You know, as an 18, 19-year-old, most of us 18, 19-year-olds aren't the most forward-thinking people. And so we, we either take on too much or we're just not very careful with what we take on. And so that actually adds burden and stress to what you're already dealing with, right? So like for me at 18 and 19, I took on a lot of debt. And while I was taking all, all this debt and going to church with just 10, 15 people, the enemy was having a field day with my mind. He said, what are you doing here? You should quit. You could actually be out there working right now, making some more money to get yourself in more debt. <laughs> he wasn't telling me to go pay off my debt. He was saying, look, you could go out there and make more money. So discouragement's job is to get you and I to quit. Okay? So what are we going to do to overcome this discouragement? I got four quick things. They're not the only things that you can do, but I got something I thought about. Like I, I looked at my, the pattern in my life, and I said, okay, Lord, what have you shown me in my life that has uh, helped me to overcome these disappointments and discouragement, okay? It's very simple. Resist, 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 resist. Resist, 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 and resist. One of my favorite preachers, uh, uh, Jesse DePlantis, used to say, it's so hard that you could confuse a theologian. <laughs> but it's really simple. So what are we resisting? First thing is resist the urge to dwell on your disappointment. Resist the urge to dwell on your disappointment. In, in this world we live in, uh, at least in this time right now, we have something called the internet, and it's a beautiful thing for the most part. But there are some parts of it that actually is a tool for us to get into further disappointment and discouragement. One of them would be social media. And what do I mean by this? Okay, how many of you know people, or you yourself, but you know, you guys are awesome, so you wouldn't be doing this yourself, but you know people who, after some heartbreak in their life or some uh, dis uh, disappointment, they go and they post everything up on their Facebook page. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that, that's actually honest to God. That's one, if not the main reason why I'm not on Facebook. You won't find me on Facebook, right? Um, aside from like, you know, I really don't have the time for it, but I used to see, or, or Twitter, I used to see like when we, when uh, Annie and I, maybe 10 years ago when we were 
working here in this place with the youth, um, they, you know, high school drama. That's the best thing I can say, right? High school, and it happens. I went through high school drama. Some of you probably went through high school drama. Yay. <laughs> it was fun when you're in it, but when you're on the outside looking, okay, maybe not all fun. But high school drama, right? And I would, it was so predictable. Because what would happen is they would get upset at each other, and then because, you know, I couldn't solve their problem, they would get upset at me. And it was so predictable because they would go home and tweet about it or post something on Facebook about it. And, and, and so people were like, P.Y., did you see what this person said on Facebook? Did you see what they, they said about you on Twitter? They tweeted about you. <laughs> was it nice? No. <laughs> Don't dwell on your disappointments. If, I mean, for, you know, if, if, if that's something you do, like, you're going to rehash it over and over and over again. And when you rehash something over and over again, it's like the Lord is trying to heal your wound and you're peeling back that band-aid or you're, you're picking that scab or whatever and it just hurts again. Or worse you get the enemy having a field day with it. And, I mean, I've been there before because what ends up happening is you begin to analyze every single little detail of the disappointment. And before you know it, it snowballs into something much bigger, right? You think, like, you, you, and, then, and then you begin to, and we'll get further into this, but, like, dwelling on something just does no good for anybody. And on the flip side, you know, we've said it before, even when God has given you a victory, don't dwell on it. Move on. Because there's more victories that God has for you. Right? You don't just sit here and camp out on... We say, you know, I say, Lord, bless you. This is awesome. This is your victory. But my focus is already on the next victory. My focus is on on something new. We always say the Lord is doing something new, right? So no need to dwell on it, okay? So resist the urge to dwell on your disappointment, okay? Resist the urge to condemn yourself. Resist the urge to condemn yourself, okay? Now, some, I, I'm speaking to parents here too, but maybe you have a sibling or maybe you have parents who were a disappointment to you. Maybe you have children who have disappointed you. My daughter is not old enough to disappoint me yet. Although, like not in the sense where it brings me heartbreak, right? But although, like even now, when we try to tell her, no, Emma, you can't do this, and she's like, she goes and does it anyways, a part of me is disappointed. Like, I told you five times, you can't do this. Right? And, but not to a point of heartbreak. Now, I know because, you know, working again with youth before, I spoke to a lot of parents who were disappointed with how their children have turned out, so to speak. And nine out of nine times, or ten out of ten times, the enemy had got them to believe that it was their fault. And I always end up hearing this. You know, as a, you know, if I was talking to a mother or a father, they would say, if only I did this, 
If only I had spent more time with Junior. I'm such a bad mother. I'm such a bad father. I'm such a bad uh, sibling. I'm such a bad son or a daughter. You're not. You are not. It's that simple because of Jesus. Now, I want to read this to you, okay? This is, I mean, it says, I am deeply grateful to, this is a letter, I'm deeply grateful to our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom I owe all that I have accomplished. For trusting me enough to appoint me his minister, despite the fact that I had previously blasphemed his name, persecuted his church, and damaged his cause. I believe he was merciful to me because what I did was done in the ignorance of a man without faith. But then he poured out his grace upon me, giving me tremendous faith and love for himself. And this statement is completely reliable and should be universally accepted, that Jesus entered the world to rescue sinners. And I realized I was the worst of them all. And that because of this very fact that God was particular, particularly merciful to me. It was a kind of demonstration of the extent of Christ's patience towards the worst of men to serve as an example to all who in the future should trust him for eternal life. You know who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. He wrote this to Timothy. He understood no matter what he did, what disappointments that he was causing God, that even the grace of God was sufficient for him, that he did not need to condemn himself. Do you remember when Jesus had the encounter with the woman who was caught in adultery? And all the religious people brought her in front of Jesus, and they wanted to stone her. And Jesus got down and wrote in the sand, and you know, he, Jesus being Jesus said, if anyone of you has no sin, then go ahead and throw the first stone. And when he had got up, the crowd had dispersed after he said that. And what did he say to the woman? Said, he said, where are your accusers? They're gone. They, 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 they're gone. They didn't condemn her. And Jesus said, neither do I. When you're feeling condemnation coming from the enemy, remember those three words of Jesus. Neither do I. You might have experienced disappointments and you might have even done something to bring upon yourself. But remember, the enemy wants to get you to, to quit. And he's going to condemn you into thinking like you're not good enough. You weren't, you, know, you weren't faithful enough. You're not praying enough. You're not reading your word enough. You're not giving enough. You're you're sitting around in church as a slouch. You're not doing enough. You just remember, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. You come and receive the grace. Come and receive Jesus' love, okay? So resist the urge to dwell on what's disappointed you. Resist the urge to condemn yourself. Resist the urge to be alone. I know, like, uh, in my younger days, a lot of my friends, when they were experiencing disappointment and discouragement, the cool thing to do was to sort of like escape the town and go on some field trip, you know, go to some retreat or spa retreat or something for a few days. And I'm not against that. Like, I love spas. So, like, I'm not against that, right? 
But there are moments in your life and my life where you do not want to be alone. There are moments in your life and my life where you need someone, a brother or sister, to lift you up, to encourage you, to remind you. You know, um, uh, even to this day, I remember about six or seven years ago, we had a uh, we, we had a guest speaker come in from out of town. He was only supposed to be here for the weekend, and he ended up staying for three weeks. <laughs> and we had night services for three straight weeks. And this before we had a concept of what time was <laughs> and how valuable it is to everybody. So we, you know, we had services from like 7 o'clock to like midnight. Every night for three weeks. And then we would go out and hang out with the preacher and take him out and eat and everything. And again, we didn't come home until like 2 in the morning. <laughs> I was exhausted. Like physically, I was exhausted. And I was too proud to say anything about it. And I remember one night, we had, we had worship time up here, and I came up to lead worship. And, and I'm just being very honest with you, okay? As a worship leader, like, sometimes the, you know, either on my own or the enemy is very good at condemning me. Like, well, look at everyone in the, can you see everybody in the, in the congregation? They're just standing like pylons. You didn't pray enough last night. It's your fault. They're going to go home today and not have an encounter with God because you didn't do enough. Woo. And I remember one particular night, I really stank up this place. Like, in a bad way. Not like, not like physically, but like, <laughs> I mean the spirit. It was pretty bad. If you're a worship leader here, you know there are moments when, and if you actually, let me ask you guys, have you ever been in a service where you kind of like, I, 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 can this music team finish right now? <laughs> like, like, they need to finish right now. I felt like that up here. And I knew it. And I remember driving home that night, and I got into my uh, car, and I parked my car in my condo, and I just started weeping and sobbing. I said, Lord, I screwed up. It was really bad. I screwed up. And I just want, I just, like they had invited me to go out and eat, right, with everybody. And I chose to be alone. I said, Lord, I screwed up. I, I just don't want to be around anyone right now. And I'll never forget this. Almost immediately after I, said those, I uttered those words in my car, I had two people text me right away. But the Lord knew <laughs> And one of them, like, I don't even really, I don't, actually, one of them, I was like, how'd you even get my number? <laughs> like, like, we weren't really, like, you know, we're acquaintances. I said, how'd you get my number? So I just want you to let you know that tonight during the, the worship time, the music time, the Lord gave me a word, a confirmation for something that's going on in my life, and, and I just feel set free. And then the other person was, you know, he used to help out here, Sam, he texted me that night and he said, P.O., I just want to tell you, like, you're awesome. You know, like, I love you. God loves you. And they didn't know any of this. They didn't know I was in my parking garage weeping. But God knew. This is why these small group things is so, 
amazing right now. It's not just so that we can have extra hangout time and, you know, like waste the night away, right? It's because there is something so critical to being in fellowship with some, somebody or other people. There is something so amazing about not just being by yourself, but having someone to be able to lift you up, having someone to be able to point out your blind spots, having someone to be able to say, you know what, you look like you're, you're, you're not sure about what you're doing, but let me encourage you, let me cheerlead you on, let me be your biggest cheerleader to go do it. Right? If you read back in this story about Elijah, he actually ran away with his servant, and then he ditched his servant, and then he ran away further by himself. Right? I mean, I, I try to think, like, what if he had someone there that he could have talked to and just to encourage him? Resist the urge to give up. Because God will restore you. Resist the urge to give up. God will restore you. When Elijah ran away, you know what's amazing about this? Is that the whole time, God was protecting him. Do you know, like, have you ever, have you ever been chased by an enemy before? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been chased by the police? <laughs> Different thing. <laughs> have you ever been chased? <laughs> Being chased by an enemy, being pursued by an enemy, like, you can't let your guard down. It's stressful, you're looking over your back, you're like wondering like, you know, I'm talking about like, even if, let's say you have a broken relationship with somebody, like a friendship, right? Like something went wrong and you guys haven't mended things together, like you're going to be avoiding each other. You're always going to be looking like, where is this person? If he comes this way, you're going to go the other way. And Elijah, whether he knew it or not, he was running away from Jezebel. But even as he was running away, God was taking care of him. God gave him the ability to sleep, not only once, but twice. And both of those times, an angel of the Lord woke him up and said, Here, here's some bread and here's some water. Eat and drink. He was restoring his physical health. You know when... Jesus is restoring your life, usually, actually, I shouldn't say usually, always, it's going to start from the inside out. He's going to take care, you know, you say, Lord, I want to be healed of this sickness. And the Lord says, I'll heal you of the sickness, but I'm going to heal your broken heart as well. I'm going to start from the inside out. God is restoring people. People who have given up, we prayed last week at the prayer meeting for our sons and daughters who have given up on their faith. I believe that God is restoring those people. There are people who have walked out on your life, on my life, not just in church, but I'm talking about life in general. God is restoring those relationships. Maybe you've had like something, some financial disaster. I really believe that God is restoring even that. I've seen it happen in my own life, how God restores our, 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 uh, our finances, I guess you can say that way. It's happening. So don't give up. And finally, just remember, okay, 
Originally, I wanted to talk about how all of God's promises in him, which is, you know, really critical. It's not just all of God's promises, but all of God's promises in him are yes. And what that means, if you can recall that anytime you have a discouragement, anytime you're, you face a disappointment, if you can recall that all of God's promises in him are yes, you begin to realize that it has nothing to do with what you can do. It has nothing to do with what you can do. Like, it has nothing to do with whether or not you can give more to the church. It has nothing to do with whether or not you are faithfully attending a small group or faithfully coming to church. Or even if you're, if you're spending time in your word. It has nothing to do with that. All those things are good things. But God's promises are yes. That's it. In him. So if you can believe that it is in him and through him that these promises in your life will be fulfilled, then you don't need to burden yourself and stress yourself out like, Lord, what do I need to quote-unquote do to achieve all of these promises? Yeah? Like, even, even I, I know all of you are so faithful coming to Willowdale, and even um, in our lives sometimes, we can get bogged down with church things, Christian things. Because somewhere along the line, we have, we have believed or someone has told us or we've, we've been misled to think that you need to do all of this before God can do all of this in your life. God's salvation, Jesus went to the cross so that you could receive eternal life. And you literally don't have to do anything except to believe in your heart and confess. Jesus went to the cross so that you could receive healing in your life. You literally don't have to do anything except to believe in your heart and confess and to receive it. Do you understand that? And so by, by knowing that and, and believing that, you can finally say, Lord, all of these promises that you have given to us are in you. And I just need to receive them. Amen? Amen. So resist, 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 and then remember. Remember the promises of God in your life. Remember, you know, how God is for you. He's not against you. Remember that he is always with you, and he doesn't want you to quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I know it sounds simple, right? I'm a simple guy. Don't quit. I really felt this week as I was preparing this, like even those two words were going to be of help to somebody in here. Don't quit. Don't quit. God is with you. God loves you. He is for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.